with verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now, if you will, drop down to verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. This morning I want to share with you for just a few moments a very simple message that I've entitled, Escaping Sudden Destruction. Now Father, as we open up your word, we pray that we would sit at your feet and we would listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, again, you have anointed me to minister the word of the Lord, but you are our teacher. You are our instructor. So anything that comes out of this man, let it be forgotten. But everything that emerges from the word of God, may it never be forgotten. May we hold on to it. May we run with it for the glory of your name. We thank you that in the challenging days that we live, you have not left us alone, but you have provided everything that is necessary to overcome and to live a life that is pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Before you're seated, one more time, would you give the Lord the praise in this house? Amen. And then turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. Escaping sudden destruction. Now, in our text this morning, many of you know that Paul is dealing with the last days, or you might say the days that are surrounding the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me pause here long enough to say that every true disciple of Jesus Christ believes in His second coming. Every true disciple of Christ believes that Jesus is coming again. Now, that does not mean that all Christians agree on when He is coming again or the events necessarily surrounding His second coming, but all true disciples of Christ agree on this, that Christ is coming again. And when He comes again, He will not come as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He will not even come as a suffering Savior, dying upon a cross. He will come to reveal Himself to the world as He has always been the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. And so shall we forevermore be with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
We are to comfort one another with these words. It is our blessed hope. It is the hope of knowing that this is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through a strange land, but we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is Almighty God. We know that in that day, it is our blessed hope that God will destroy this earth and the heavens and will create a new heaven and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. And on that day, God will will wipe away from our eyes every tear, for there will be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more disease, for the former things have passed away and everything has become brand new in Jesus Christ. It is our hope and we thank God that He is coming again. Can you give God all the praise if you believe that in Jesus' name? So Paul is addressing the days leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And he is describing some of the characteristics of those days. One of those being that there will be a brief reprieve um, from international unrest and hostility that the world is experiencing at that time. And it will be such unprecedented peace that it will cause the global community to lift up their voice as one and say peace and safety. Nevertheless, Paul says that those days of peace and safety will almost immediately be interrupted and will be followed by sudden destruction that will come upon them and from it there will be no escape. Now we know according to Revelation chapter 6 that there is going to be at some point before the return of Christ the emergence of a one world government and a one world leader. The Bible refers to him as the beast. It refers to him as the antichrist. And we know again from Revelation chapter 6 that his ascent to world domination will come peacefully. John saw him arriving on a white horse. He will come without um, having to draw a sword. Evidently, this world leader will have all of the answers, all of the solutions for all the struggles that the globe is experiencing at that time. And so his ascent to power will be without violence. It will be without war, and he will bring in an unprecedented time of peace. For the first three and a half years of his administration, that peace will dominate the global community. But then the Bible says that suddenly the wrath of God will be poured out on the earth in a series of judgments over the next three and a half years, and no flesh will be able to escape the wrath of God. And it appears that this is what Paul is talking about as we look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But I want you to notice also that Paul says that of the times and the seasons of these events, I do not need to write to you. And the reason that he said that is because when Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, he said to them 
that no man knows the hour or the day in which these things would occur. That not even the Son of Man knows the time or the day or the hour. That the Father knows it exclusively. What he was saying to his disciples and what he's saying to all of the church even today is do not get preoccupied with trying to figure out when Christ is coming again because his coming is imminent. We believe in the imminent return of Christ, that we are to always walk in a state of readiness because at any moment Jesus Christ could return. We believe in the imminence of the Lord's coming, which means that He could come at any time and in any generation. And so the signs that we see in Scripture do not necessarily mean that His coming is any sooner. It just is telling us, be awake, be alert, because He could come at any moment in any generation. And that's why... As you look at the times from Jesus till even now, there are signs that would indicate you're living in a time when Christ could return. That's why the Apostle Paul was convinced that Jesus was coming in his lifetime. That's why Peter was convinced that Jesus was coming in his lifetime. That's why the early church was convinced that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. It wasn't that Jesus was deceiving them. He just said... These signs would indicate you're living in the time when I may arrive. But the Father alone knows when that's going to be. You are just always to walk in a state of preparedness and readiness because He's coming as a thief in the night. Now, bear with me for a moment. That means that even in our generation we will see signs that point to the imminence of His return. It doesn't mean that He will come in our lifetime. It just means that we're living in a time when He may uh, return. So what He's simply saying is that even in the times we live, we can see moments of peace and safety that are immediately followed by sudden destruction. And certainly, even though there's been hostility at various times in our lifetime, we can all point to moments when things seem to be relatively peaceful and quiet and we felt safety, but then it was interrupted by sudden destruction. It may have come in a sudden terrorist attack. It may have come in a sudden invasion or a sudden war. It may have come in a sudden storm or tsunami or hurricane that wiped out hundreds, if not thousands of lives in just a matter of moments. And so it indicates to us that we're living in the time when Christ could return. And that is what I'm concerned about as a pastor. I'm concerned about the times when we feel peaceful, when we feel safe, and we're lulled into a spiritual slumber, and we lower our guard, and then sudden destruction comes. Because over my lifetime, I have watched many men and women walk away from 
the faith because they were never prepared for sudden moments of destruction and sudden moments of pain. And folks, I'm going to tell you that your God loves you enough that He wants you to be ready at any moment when sudden destruction comes so that you are not taken down, but you overcome in Jesus' mighty name. One of the many things that makes life so challenging is the suddenness with which events can unfold in our lives. And I think all of you would agree with me that things happen suddenly. We live in an age of, uh, of just instant communication. So it's amazing to me how you can receive one phone call, one email, one text, and immediate your, immediately your life is turned upside down. Over the weekend, I was thinking about my mother's stroke here about four years ago. It was on a Saturday morning, and Kathy and Amanda were at a women's conference up in the north, and Josh, who was not married at that time, was up at a Hillsongs conference in New York City with Pastor Brian. And I was home on a Saturday morning all alone. I was finishing up a few things. I was getting ready to come to the church and get ready for Sunday morning. Everything was wonderful. Everything was good. When all of a sudden I got a phone call from my brother and literally said, Kurt, mom has had a stroke. I don't know any of the details. I'll call you when I know anything. And he hung up. That was the longest hour of my life. And it is amazing how you can go from just having a wonderful day to being literally in a time of despair and a time of great pain and sorrow. But that's how quickly life can turn. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about here today? I was reminded of what Solomon said in Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. How many times have we sensed God warning us? that we needed to change our life, that we needed to address certain issues? How many times have we felt the rebuke and the conviction of the Spirit, but we hardened our heart? Suddenly, the Bible says, destruction will come, and that time it will come without any remedy at all. Can I tell you that as I read the Word of God, I can say with great confidence and surety that difficult times are coming. It is not a matter of if, it is only a matter of when. There is going to be sudden destruction. There is going to be a sudden event that takes place in your life. But what I love about this chapter is that Paul says that for the believer, we do not have to be in dark on these things that this day should overtake us like a thief in the night. And he actually writes of things that we can do to remain in the light or in the truth so that when sudden destruction comes, we are prepared for it and we can stand in the midst of that time and say, I don't know how, I don't know when, but somehow God is going to bring me through it in Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear an amen? For instance, in verse number 6, he says, be sober-minded and watchful. In verse 8, he tells us that we are to wear faith and love like a breastplate, which means it protects our heart, and that we are to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet 
or it guards our mind. In verse 11, we are commanded to comfort and edify each other continually. In verses 12 and 13, he tells us to recognize, admonish, and esteem with great love those who serve as pastors over us. In verse 13, we are also told to live in peace with one another. And then in verses 14 and 15, he warns us to warn those who are unruly, to comfort the faint-hearted, to uphold the weak, to be patient with all, to do not retaliate or to seek revenge, and above all, to pursue what is good, not only for ourselves, but for others." All of those are important. And I would pray that there would be something I would say today that would encourage you to go home and study those out for yourself. But I want to draw your attention today on the next four. The next four are the ones that were heavy upon my heart this week. And I felt that God wanted me to spend a little bit more time looking at them with you this morning. Let's read them again in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. I want to share with you these four principles. And again, they all are important. All the ones we're not even looking at. But it's these four that I felt the Spirit really bearing down on for our fellowship here today. And I will tell you that if you will commit these to your life, I cannot guarantee you that difficult times will not come, but I can guarantee you that when the storm is over, you'll still be standing in Jesus' mighty name. Number one, number one, rejoice always. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Rejoice always. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Can I tell you that if you are going to make it in sudden moments of destruction, you're going to have to learn the discipline of rejoicing always and in every circumstance in Jesus' name. Because there is an enemy that is looking for a moment in your life that he can exploit and in effect steal your joy from you. No matter what we go through as believers, we cannot allow the enemy to use it to steal our joy. We've got to find a way to keep rejoicing in the Lord at all times in Jesus' name. Now, some might say, why is joy so important in the life of the believer? It's because of what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8 and verse number 10 where he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Would you say that with me? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is something about Christian joy, not happiness, because happiness is circumstantial. But joy is a state. It is fixed in the presence of God. And there is something about the joy of the believer that sustains them and strengthens them through the storm in Jesus' name. That's why David said in his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm going to tell you the source of our joy is that we are saved. That our name is written in the book of life. And that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I hear an amen out of that? 
Even when you've fallen, you need to say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. The joy of knowing that I am saved in Jesus' name. And Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Always in the Greek means always. It means without exception. Come on, can you speak to me today here, folks? We are to rejoice in the Lord always, without ceasing. Now, it would have been one thing if the Apostle Paul was writing that from his beachfront property in Florida. But he wrote that while he was languishing in a prison cell. He is in shackles to other prisoners. He's sitting in his filth and the filth of all of those prisoners as well. It stinks. It is terrible in there. But he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You may be in the foulest moment of your life, but I'm going to tell you, you got to push through it and say, my God is worthy of my praise today. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord at all times. Bless God. Why is that so important? Well, there's a reason. James 1, look at this. James 1 and verse 2. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Boy, that's a powerful portion of Scripture. There are two thoughts that come to me as, as I read that. Number one, be careful what you pray for. Okay? Think twice before you say, Lord, give me patience. Because God does not give you patience. God sends you trials and tests. Because it's only in the trials and the testing of your faith that you actually develop patience. So be very careful about what you're praying for. How many of you need some patience? Oh, come on. I know you live in the most stressful state in the country. New Jersey, trying to drive through here is crazy. We all need patience, but it only comes through trials and through testings. But I also want you to notice here today that there is a domino effect. And it begins with rejoicing in various trials and in the testing of our faith. As we rejoice in it, then we bring forth patience. And when patience has its perfect work in us, we are made perfect, complete, lacking nothing. In other words, joy is actually the vehicle through which God gives you everything that you need to make it in these last days for the glory and the honor of God. That's why you cannot let the enemy steal your joy. Because the enemy knows that if he can steal your joy, he can compromise and undermine the plan of God that he has to bring to you everything to make you a man or a woman of God in this last day. So I urge you today, brothers and sisters, praise the Lord through the storm. Praise the Lord through the tears. Praise the Lord through the hurt because he's bringing you out of it in Jesus' mighty name. Paul said this, and I love it. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, he says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I love that. He in no way, shape, or form tells you that you'll never have a broken heart. 
He in no way, shape, or form tells you that you will not grieve, that there will be not tears and sorrow. But what he says is, as a believer, you can be sorrowful and yet rejoicing in the midst of it in Jesus' name. Because you know God has never failed you. So folks, please, rejoice always. Don't let the enemy steal your joy in Jesus' name. Number two, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Don't let life steal your intimacy. Pray without ceasing. Don't let life steal your intimacy. If you are going to escape moments of sudden destruction, then you are going to have to pray without ceasing and never allow life to steal your intimacy. Now, I just want to say in general, as your pastor, that we are all going to have to take our individual and our corporate prayer life to another level in 2019. We are just going to have to do that. You have got to resolve in your heart that what we are about to experience as Christians in the United States of America within the next five to ten years, should the Lord tarry, you will not be able to deal with unless you have deep moments of intimacy with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Prayer is going to be critical, and you need to be developing a rich prayer life that extends beyond praying for a new television set and a new car. You're going to need how to pray for the angels of heaven to surround you in the difficult times. You're going to need to really seek the face of the living God. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. It's filled with disappointments, frustrations, Tears and fears and heartaches. And before you know it, if you're not careful, you can allow life to really steal from you. Now, I don't like using that word because they don't just come in and take from you. You allow them to. So understand that. But if you're not careful and you're not protecting your life and guarding your walk with the Lord, then those issues can come in and steal your intimacy with the Lord. Your intimacy with the Lord begins to wane. It's not long before your joy is lost. You find it harder to pray, harder to read the Word of God, harder to fellowship with other believers because you've let life crowd out God. All I can tell you as a pastor is don't let life steal your intimacy. Pray without ceasing. Now, some people really struggle with that idea, pray without ceasing, because we think that prayer is just getting alone with God in our basement or in our favorite prayer place in the woods, wherever it is. We think that we've got to be all alone with God praying. But the Bible is speaking here of an attitude of prayer. And I can walk in an attitude of prayer 24-7. Whenever I am awake, I can be in an attitude of prayer. An attitude of God awareness. It is integrating my faith into every area of my life. So it doesn't matter whether I'm raising my children, I'm talking to my spouse, I'm at the workplace, I'm at play, I am entertaining myself. Wherever I am, I am walking with an awareness of God's presence. And I'm leaning not on my own understanding, but in all of my ways I'm acknowledging God and letting Him direct my path. That is praying without ceasing. It is saying, God, I don't dare to say anything, do anything, move anywhere 
until I hear from heaven. Because I want to be led by God, not by myself. In Jesus' mighty name. You've got to pray without ceasing. Jesus said in Luke 8 and verse number 1 that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Losing heart is losing will. What he's saying there is don't lose your will to fight on in prayer. It, you know, at times it gets wearisome when you're praying and you're seeing no results. But the Bible says don't lose your will to fight on. Keep praying. Keep seeking the face of God because he will answer by and by. In Luke 21, in verse number 36, he says, Watch therefore and pray always, listen, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Do you hear what he says there? He's saying that the ability to escape these things that will come in the last days is largely based upon remaining watchful and praying always. Don't ever take your current walk with God for granted. You need to watch at all times. You need to pray at all times that you would be counted worthy to escape the sudden destruction that is coming in Jesus' name. And this is why Peter said in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Pray without ceasing. Third, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Don't let circumstances steal your gratitude. In everything give thanks. Don't let circumstances steal your gratitude. If you're going to escape sudden destruction, then you've got to remain thankful. And you've got to learn to give God the thanks in everything that happens. He doesn't say, give me, thank, give me thanks for what is happening. Give me thanks in spite of what is happening. God is not expecting us to thank Him for what is happening to us, but He does expect us to thank Him for all that he's done for us in spite of what is happening to us. He is not demanding that we thank him for what we are going through, but he does expect us to thank him that he's going to bring us through in Jesus' mighty name. Somehow the believer has got to learn to give thanks to God in every situation of life. You know, there's something that happened that was very perplexing here. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are taken before the religious leaders. And the religious leaders tell them, you can no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they threaten them with violence. But the Bible says in verse number 41, so they, the disciples, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now there is just something wrong with that, at least in our minds. They actually left there rejoicing. They weren't intimidated at all by the threats. They rejoiced that God counted them worthy to suffer shame for his name. They wore it as a badge of honor. How could that possibly be? Because of what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to what he says at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as 
is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Again, Paul makes it very clear that there is nothing that we can do to avoid testings and trials of the faith. I don't care how strong you are with God and how strong your confession is. There is nothing that you can do to avoid seasons of testing and of temptation and trials of your faith. They come to everyone. But please remember that no matter how difficult that test is, God is faithful. And he manifests his faithfulness two ways, he says here. First of all, he manifests his faithfulness in that he will never allow you to be tested beyond what you and he together are able to bear. Now, you'll always go through things you can't bear, but you will never go through anything that you and God cannot get through together in Jesus' mighty name. So you got to convince yourself that no matter what you're going through today, you and God can get through it in Jesus' mighty name. That's the first thing he's faithful in. But secondly, his faithfulness is seen in that with every test, he provides the way of escape. No one can say, I didn't have any other option. That is not true. God said, there is always a way of escape. So what I know, no matter how difficult the test may be is that I'm there because God said I see in my son the ability to make it if he leans upon me and I provided a way of escape that's why you can rejoice in the storm that's why you can thank God because you can say Lord I wouldn't have gone here in my choice but I'm thankful that I'm here because now I get to see God make a way where there seems to be no other way you got to find a way to thank him because he's never failed you he never Never will fail you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you to the end of the age. Give him thanks in this house this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless God. And then number four, do not quench the Spirit. Don't let fear steal your submission to the Spirit's work. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't let fear steal your submission to the Spirit's work If you and I are going to escape sudden destruction, then we have got to allow the Holy Spirit freedom in our hearts and our lives, and even in our churches. Folks, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the last days. In fact, I've mentioned this before. Of all the times that the Holy Spirit could have been poured out on mankind, He was specifically poured out in the last days. It's almost like God saying, I know what's coming. And I know what you're going to face. And you cannot possibly make it without my Spirit. And so he deliberately poured out the Spirit in the last days to give us all that is necessary to overcome in life in Jesus' name. Now many of you know that Jesus spoke more about the Holy Spirit on the night that he was betrayed in the upper room than at any other time during his earthly ministry. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going back to the Father and where I'm going you cannot come but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. 
And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he talks exclusively about the Holy Spirit. It's often forgotten. We talk about how he washed the feet of the disciples in the upper room. And we'll talk about how he told them that one of them was going to betray them and that all of them would forsake them. We talk about that, but we never talk about the fact that the predominant conversation was about the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. I'm just going to give you a sampling of what he said in the upper room that night about the Holy Spirit. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than, he, than these will he do, because I go to my Father. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and soon will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. As I read that, the only thought that I have is good luck trying to navigate life and the last days without the abiding, indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's what it would be. It would be luck if you were somehow able to navigate through this life without the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, without the Spirit, We are nothing. The Spirit came so that the works that Jesus did, we will do. And even greater things than He did, we will do because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to be our helper. The one who's called alongside us to never leave us and forsake us and to empower us in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit came to abide with us forever and to be the Spirit of truth in our life, uncovering all falsehood. He is not only dwelling with us, but thank God He is dwelling in us in Jesus' name. We are not orphans. Today we are the children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of God. He is our helper. He has come to give us peace. A peace that cannot be taken away. A peace that will allow us in difficult circumstances to not be troubled or even to be afraid. We have an advantage in this life because of the Holy Spirit. He will guide us into all truth and he will even tell us things to come in Jesus mighty name I'm thankful that every morning I can communicate with the Holy Spirit and he may not tell me all the details but he can say be ready son something is coming be ready son there's an opportunity that's coming he will tell you things to come so that you're not caught off guard but you're ready in Jesus mighty name how many of you know we need the Holy Spirit in this hour. But Paul says, you can quench him. 
He says, do not quench the Spirit. That's another, that, now that should be a sobering thought for you. Here is the almighty, all-powerful God that we say can do all things. And yet God has made the decision to give us the ability to restrict the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit or to release the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to move in your life. He wants to work in your life. But you determine whether you will restrict His activity or you will release His activity in your life. The Holy Spirit is symbolized in many ways in the Bible. One of those symbols is fire. And fire purifies Fire consumes, it gives light, it even strengthens, if you will. Because it removes impurities and leaves that which can be worked up by God and make us strong in Him. So He is likening the work of the Holy Spirit to fire. The Holy Spirit's not fire, but His ministry is like fire. The Holy Spirit purifies, He consumes, He gives light, He strengthens. And as a fire... The Holy Spirit's work can either be fanned into flame or it can be quenched and doused. And many times that is exactly what we do. Rather than fan the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and say, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Instead, we douse and quench the Spirit out of fear. Say, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of obeying God because we're afraid of what He's requiring of us. We're afraid of what He's directing us to do. We're afraid of what He would demand of us. And so we quench Him. A lot of times, even on Sunday morning, I can sense that God wants to do something among us, but we start sitting on the Spirit, and we won't allow Him to move in our lives because we're afraid that He's going to require more from us. Listen, whatever He requires of you is for your benefit. It's not for your detriment. It's to make you stronger in the things of God. In Jesus' name, can I stand before you today and tell you, don't let fear and panic and anxiety rob you of being submitted to the Holy Spirit, His direction and His leadership in your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there are difficult days ahead. But if you are a sold-out believer of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. But you can rejoice always. Praise God. You can, in everything, give Him thanks. You can pray without ceasing. And you can be led by the Holy Spirit, and He will see you through. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give the Lord praise in his house here this morning. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, just stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet and with your voice, just lift up.